0: Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. Very excited to be here today because not only are we getting even closer to the start of the baseball season, but after months and months of both of us complaining that our teams were doing nothing, (laughs) at least one of us has something to celebrate. And that is because the Cleveland Guardian signed Brian Shaw to a three-year <laughs> contract for reasons I can't. No, that's not what we're celebrating. <laughs> he's the only move that Cleveland made. We're celebrating because Pete wanted Schwarber back in Boston. He didn't get him. He was interested in Castellanos. He didn't get him. But he settled on Trevor Story, and so did the Red Sox. Trevor Story is a Boston Red Sox. Is that what it, a Boston Red Sox? A Boston Red Sox. So. You can say he's a Boston Red
1: Sox, but then it's still spelled S O X. Well, that's just weird. Yeah, well, I, I can't see it
0: spelled out S O C K. That'd be too. That'd be even weirder. Yeah, no, that would be weirder too, huh? <laughs> All right. Well, regardless, Trevor's story. He's on your Thank team God. now. Thank what, God. What are your? Before we get into any fantasy implications, what are your thoughts about this from a from a baseball perspective? Well, I think you
1: know on. I'm going to upset a lot of fellow Red Sox fans, but I think on paper, the Yankees looked better than us. They still might, especially with sale hurt Toronto far past us on paper. And the rays were the best team in the division last year. And you know, they're, they're going to be the rays. It really doesn't matter what the roster looks like. They're going to compete. It looked like they were going to have Shane Boss, who we're going to talk about later. And so it really felt like pretty quickly we were, we were falling back to the pack. Still might. Uh, I'm not in love with our pitching. Um, but Kyle Schwarber and Hunter Renfro, they needed to be replaced, and I don't think Trevor Story definitely replaces both. He lengthens the lineup, though. Um, you know, we're gonna dive into the fantasy implications in just a minute. But like this, this was potentially like a a season saving move before the season even started. Three players at least: Bogarts, uh, Christian Vasquez, and Christian Arroyo, who's mind you, Trevor Story took this guy's job. All three of them were like. Basically, pleading through the media to the front office to make a move. They're like, oh, like all these names are running out. This is such a loaded free agent market. And thank God they actually did. Uh, so, faith in Heim Bloom. Here we go. Stories of Red Sox. So,
0: what do you think about what this means long term for the Red Sox? Because, you know, Story had made a couple comments about being open to a short term position change. Xander Bogarts is a free agent after this season, right? I and mean, this is his last season under yep. team control. Is Do you think this means Xander is gone? Part of me does think that. Um,
1: unless Xander is so bad in the field again this year that maybe it's like a wake-up call. You know, we talked about this when we were guests on, on The Wire, uh, and I don't know if that episode has dropped yet. I don't think it has, so I don't want to spoil too much, but we talked about um outs against average at shortstop out of the 36 qualifying shortstops dd gregorius was far and away the worst and who was in front of him uh, at 35 out of 36 was xander bogarts now all the stuff about trevor story's elbow you know who knows i don't like to play doctor you know that um so long term I, i think in heim bloom's mind i do believe this xander moves to third devers to dh jd martinez leaves trevor story to shortstop that's honestly what i think he wants Maybe he would rather see Bogarts try left field. If Manny Ramirez can do it, then an athlete like Xander Bogarts can do it. Not saying that Manny Ramirez did it all that well, but he knew how to play the monster pretty well. I just, I don't, I do not think Xander Bogarts is going to be the shortstop of the Boston Red Sox in 2023.
0: So I'll say that much. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, you know, it was interesting. I was looking at outs above average and Xander was in the second percentile last year, which is not great. Trevor Story was in the fourth percentile. Uh, Story was in the 38th percentile in 2020 and in the 99th percentile in 2019. Um, and then back in the ninth percentile in 2018. So I really don't know what to make of his history. However, uh, Xander is just always in single digits in the percentile there. So like, it's very clear that that Xander Bogarts is not a particularly good defensive shortstop. Uh, it is very clear that uh, I would say it's very clear that Story is better. I don't know that it's very clear that Story is good, but he's better. Um, and I would think there is, you know, some possible future with Debra, you know, upgrading third base by moving Xander over and upgrading shortstop by moving Story in. But, you know, it remains to be seen. Um, regardless, for this year, this is a great move. For the future, it it at the very least, I think it... uh it future-proofs the Red Sox a little bit, right? Because you can say like, oh, now this means Xander's gone, but like he might've been gone anyways. So now at least there's a there's a there's an air in place to take over that position if he moves on. But we are, as much as you'd like us to be, we are not a Red Sox podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, at least five minutes of it. But we should talk about the fantasy implications of Trevor's story... Leaving cores, and I think you know, this is one of those cases where, like, he we could say he left cores, but like, he left cores three months ago, four months ago. We all knew it, nobody thought he was going back. So, you know, drafts this season, keeper leagues, dynasty leagues, any decisions that have been made have all been made on the assumption that he won't be back in cores. So, what we really know now is not that he's leaving cores, but that he is going to Fenway. Um, and I'm curious what you think of Fenway as a fit for Trevor's story. Yeah,
1: I I think it's a great fit. I mean, Fenway is going to do to him what it does for most right-handed hitters, right? It's going to cut down maybe on the power a little bit, even though the expected homers by StatCast had him at 38 homers last year at Fenway Park. It's not quite as good as it would have been at Minute Maid or at Yankee Stadium, you know, some of the other teams that were rumored to get him, but not by much. Uh, If we get 38 homers out of Trevor Story, I I think that would be a little bit of a surprise and kind of awesome. But I think he's going to abuse the green monster. Um, He's going to see a lot of fastballs because it's a good lineup. He's a guy who hits a lot of fly balls, gets under it, hits it. You look at the stack cast data, it doesn't look like he hits it all that hard. But at Fenway, you know, the the shape of the park because the wall's so close, I I do think he's going to get a lot of doubles, a lot of triples at Fenway. Um, I think it saves his batting average, maybe makes his batting average a little bit higher than it otherwise would have been. I think he's, you know, Fenway's really good for Babbitt. Um, So I think between all the fastballs he's going to see and the park itself, His average is probably going to be, it's like a little bit of a net gain. Obviously, potentially the power could take a step back, leaving cores. But um, it's one of the best possible places he could have ended up. Although towards the end, you look at all the teams that were in on him.
0: I think it was going to be good kind of no matter what. Yeah, I'm pulling up the Savant Park factors for right-handed hitters. And overall Park factor for righties, Um, Fenway is the fourth best in baseball at 105 Coors, you know, is another planet at 119. It's just the way it is. Uh, for hits, Fenway is tied for second for right-handed hitters. or tied with Kauffman Stadium with its big outfield at 107. Again, Coors first at 124. For doubles, um, this one's an interesting one. So, Coors has a 143 park factor for righties for doubles. Just, again, way ahead of everyone else. Fenway is 134, and nobody else is over 114. So... From that perspective, um, you have this really interesting move, I think, for story where I, I, I my sense is that power will be an issue because he's moving from a, a 124 home run park factor cores to a 94 for righties, which is sort of middle of the pack, 19th in baseball at Fenway. But other than literal home runs, right? Not I'm not even talking about his power overall. His literal home run count will go down. But other than that, um, this really is about as great a landing spot as he could get for, for maintaining a high batting average, for getting a lot of doubles, for being on base a lot. Um, and I think when you add together the, maybe it's subtracting. I think the, when you subtract the losses he's going to get from not hitting at cores and then you add back in the benefits he'll get on the road from not having to adjust to and from Coors, uh, I, I think people are going to be surprised at... this. Is, okay, here, here's, here's my, my hot take. I think this is a better overall place for Story's overall line on the year than Coors was. Because I think the drop off for him at home is going to be smaller than it would in most other places. And the gains for him on the road will be significant. And the result, the net result will be an improvement. Definitely.
1: And then you consider the lineup upgrade, which is just ridiculous. For sure. I mean, the Rockies have been atrocious the last few years. And, you know, the factors are what they are. But I do think story has a chance to pretty much maintain his power just because of how fly ball driven as opposed to line drive driven he is i mean you'd rather see the line drives right it'd be better for batting average he'd barrel the ball more but i mean this is a guy who's like a th- over 30 fly ball hitter and if you're going to be able to hit home runs at fenway you as a righty you have to get it over the monster it sounds obvious right you, you have to get it over the fence to hit a home run but like if you're more of a fly ball guy than a line drive guy, I think it's going to translate well, at least for your home run total, and it's going to have less of an effect on your batting average than it otherwise would, because, you know, there's there's fly balls that could go off the wall as opposed to into gloves. So I do think he's a little bit of an exception to those factors and could still maintain high end power while also increasing his other statistics.
0: Yeah. No, my what I find sort of interesting is so I I had pulled up roster resource after this trade, curious to see what they were going to do with the lineup. And this is what roster resource has right now. And I don't know that I love it. And I'm curious for your take. They still have, uh, Kiki Hernandez leading off Devers. Second, fine. Bogarts, third, Martinez, fourth story, hitting fifth with then Verdugo, Dahlbeck, Vasquez, and JBJ hitting ninth. Um, you can have some conversations about the eighth and ninth spots of that lineup, but that's, that's not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, I'm curious, like, should Story be hitting fifth? I, I, I guess this is my real question. Like is, should Kiki Hernandez be the leadoff hitter for this team? If it pushes Story down to fifth or should they be trying to pack Devers, Bogarts, JD Martinez, and Trevor Story into those top four spots?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, believe it or not. So, two different sources on twitter um one is i want to say it's just at boston strong which sounds like just like a fan account and for the most part it is but this guy usually almost always has like the inside scoop uh he's saying that the red sox really favor him hitting sixth instead of fifth or leadoff. um
0: and chris catillo who is six like up? behind verdugo yeah so that's what Yo- my guest is um, hernandez but- Devers bogarts martinez verdugo
1: story yeah, sure. to keep the, the righty lefty thing going. And that was backed up by Chris Catillo, who's a Red Sox beat writer. He's awesome for Mass Live. Um, who said that it's looking more like he'll hit sixth than leadoff. But you know, how much of that is like Kike has been Cora's guy. Um, he's been a real like I hate to use it. This is overused in sports, but he's been the heart and soul of the team over the last year. You know, I know people want to say it's Bogarts, but and and it is. But like the guy that gets them like fired up, gets things going. Absolutely, was the best performer in the playoffs. Was Kike in the leadoff spot? Because they had such a successful year. How much of this is like Kike? We love you, and you did so well. We're going to commit to you at leadoff. But once Kike is hitting two forty, you know, and we're four games behind Toronto in the middle of June at what point do they say, okay, we got a bump up story and we have to adjust the lineup. I think that's likely to happen. So it's, it's a, it's more of a narrative thing. I think than it's something, something that's going to stick.
0: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think if it sticks, uh, you know, hitting in the sixth spot, especially if it's behind Verdugo, like his RBI and run opportunities are gonna be much lower, particularly runs like There'll be a lot less opportunity for him to come around and score. He'll either like if he's hitting six with with Dahlbeck, Vasquez, and Bradley behind him. It's like Story hits a home run, Dahlbeck hits a home run, or Story is stranded. <laughs> he's not coming around otherwise. So uh, I, I think that the the from a five by five perspective, if they stick with this lineup, the the benefits on runs and home runs will still be there because the lineup is still much better. But they will be. Muted from what they could have been if he were hitting. I don't even know. I mean, looking at this lineup like if if Kike's not the leadoff hitter, is story the next best bet as a leadoff hitter? I don't I think, think you so. want to move Devers out of the two spot. you could you could argue for Bogarts given his on base that he could lead off, but I don't know. Regardless, he'd be in a much better position if you were hiring that lineup, but it's still an improvement from where he was, for sure. I think it's it's also something that could switch depending on
1: if they're facing a lefty or a righty. Um, you know, Obviously, Kike hit lefties well last year, but you look at the differences in the splits for Trevor Story and for his career, obviously, but definitely last season where he had an OPS of 974 against lefties and an OPS of 735 against righties. So I think if, if there's a lefty on the mound, you you just you have. I don't know if it's moving Kike, but you have to get Story in the top third because you just want him up more in that game.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, looking at keeper leagues and and sort of future value, I already made my comment that I don't think that like I think this is actually a good move for Story, and so this this doesn't decrease my interest in him long term. Doesn't really change that. Um, is there is there any long term impact here on Story or on anyone else for that matter?
1: Uh I I don't maybe on Bogarts because Fenway park's great for him. And if this pushes him out, then, you know, you've got to start considering that. But these are the types of things that like, it's, if you, if you roster these players, you know, in your leagues, it's tough to really think about like, I don't know, what about Story's elbow or Bogarts could leave next year. Like we're playing for right now. And if there's anything that we can assess long-term, it's that Story's in a great park for a long time. So um, maybe in those deep dynasties, I don't know what they're going to do now because they're in my opinion, their two best prospects are both middle infielders, Nick York and Marcelo Mayer. And even though they're both, they're not going to arrive this year. Neither of them are unless they absolutely like the world on fire. It's still like, I don't know what's going on there. So um, I, I just don't know what's actionable Chad. I guess is what I'm saying. I don't
0: think there's a whole, it's interesting, but it's not really actionable. Yeah. I think those guys are far enough away that I'm not, it doesn't change anything for me in dynasty leagues. I think, Where there's maybe an impact is if we get to June, July, August, and you're, you're in a league, you're in a keeper league where you're struggling. You may have some decisions to make about the long-term value of a guy like Bogarts. Um, But right now, no, I'm with you. I think you just, you roll with these guys and you're happy with the landing spot for story. And it's even if for Bogarts, like, All this did was make the Red Sox lineup better. It's good for him, too. So I guess one thing we can say is for the next at least two years, because he'll get it for next year as well.
1: The added second base eligibility for Trevor Story is definitely a game changer. I mean, that second base was looking pretty deep, but he is a high end like in the Albies territory for me
0: uh, in terms of second baseman now. Yeah, I think that's true. I think people who drafted early in the offseason and took Story as like the eighth shortstop off the board because shortstop is so deep got a stud at second base. And especially in team leagues where teams drafted, like if you have, you're in a league with middle infield where you drafted multiple shortstops, and story was your second shortstop. And also needs your first second baseman. Like that's a real nice flip. So I'd be, I'd be real happy with that move. Let's jump to another signing that happened recently. Um, where the landing spot maybe isn't as good. And that is Jorge Soler signed in Miami. Um, which is, I, I think super fun for Miami. Um, like it's, you know, I like seeing teams that you don't expect to make moves, making moves. And so that part is really good. You know, we talked last week about how like almost every free agent has landed somewhere you wouldn't have guessed that that definitely counts. What do you think of Soler in Miami from, uh, from our perspective okay so definitely from from our perspective <clears throat> if, if we're going to
1: talk long term this feels like a short stop for him like he seems like the ideal trade candidate it's a reasonable contract no team at the deadline is gonna be like oh can we can we afford to bring on jorge Soler's contract he's a proven playoff performer and that matters to teams at the trade deadline i'm sorry it's true um and in terms of fantasy production period, like I, this dude hit what 48 homers in Kansas city. So I'm not going to be turned off by the park in Miami. Uh, You know, the lineup's a whole separate issue, but if jazz Chisholm takes a step forward and a couple of the other guys in that team hit a little bit better than they did last year, then I think it's fine. You know, it's, it's not going to be great, but it's going to be fine. I think there's some good parks to hit in, in that division. So he'll still get, you know, opportunities to smack the ball around. I, I, I don't, Maybe I knocked down Soler a couple spots in my rankings, but not enough for it to really matter. Because he's at a point he goes at a point in drafts where I'm looking at what my team needs, and if I need power, I'm not like ah, I was gonna take Jorge Soler because I needed power, but now that he's in Miami, I'm not gonna do it anymore. I still look at him as a at a minimum 30 homer possibility guy, probably most likely more because he's definitely gonna get the plate appearances in Miami, right in the middle of that lineup. So. Maybe lineup spot in job security actually improves his value and I
0: am still in on him. Yeah, I mean I've been uh I I've been a believer that Solera has been going too late in drafts all offseason. Um I think he had a really rough start last year, but you know, you look at what he did, like you said in Kansas City, hitting forty eight home runs in twenty nineteen in Kansas City. With a 354 on base, you know, the 228 batting average obviously hurts in, or sorry, the, it was a 265 batting average. 228 was 2020. 265 batting average isn't great. But then he came to Atlanta after, you know, some struggles in 2020 in the first half of 2021. And in 55 games, had 14 home runs, a 358 on base percentage, a 269 average. Like he sort of established that as what he's capable of. And I don't know, like I look at the projections for him and like you know, Steamer has him at 32 home runs, 331 on base, 237 average. ATC 30 home runs, 238, 332 on base percentage. I I think all of this is low. Like I think he's much more of a bet for like 35 home runs and a 350 on base percentage and a 260 batting average than he is that stuff. And I'm totally with you on the park. I I like there are there are not a lot of parks that would have been a worse landing spot, but this guy crushed at Kauffman Stadium, which has the worst park factor for home runs for right-handed hitters in all of baseball. Um, and so from that perspective, like Lone Depot Park is the 22nd best. Like it's, you know, one of the bottom 10. It is still so much better than Kauffman. So uh, he's more than capable of handling a big park. He hits the ball real, real hard. If I go look at the those uh, stat cast, you know, what would he expected home runs by park? His expected home runs in Lone Depot Park, where did it go? Oh, there it is. 36. So yeah, are there parks that have been better? Sure. They have, you know, 42 with the White Sox, 42 with Houston, 42 with Philly, 47 with the Cubs. He, he apparently would love hitting at Wrigley. But 36, I'm not, I'm not, I have no, I have no concerns there. So I think if anything, what this does for me is I'm I'm hopeful that in some of my leagues people are gonna be like, ooh, that's not a great power park. He's been sort of up and down, and they'll be out, and I can be in because <laughs> I want to yeah. be in. Um and, and you're right, like then there's a possibility that at the deadline, like I mean if, if I look at Boston where they have Jackie Bradley Jr. playing right field. Is it possible that, you know, in July, they're going to be like, this is not working. We need an upgrade in the outfield. Duran, isn't it? Let's trade for Jorge Soler. And all of a sudden he's my language. Yeah. All of a sudden he's smashing balls off and over the monster. Um, And I'm not trying to predict a trade to Boston. I'm just, my point is that like that could happen there. There's a million parks he could get traded to in any of them. Like, Boy, I I mean, just look at the best parks for right-handed power. Uh, (laughs) You know, it seems crazy to think the Dodgers might need him, but the Dodgers, who knows what they might do. Um, I I don't think, you know, the Orioles or Reds are going to be looking. Don't think the Rockies will. Maybe the White Sox. Certainly the Brewers are a possibility. Certainly the Phillies are a possibility. Certainly the Astros, like there's a bunch of teams in like with, with, you know, top 10 power parks for right-handed bats that could end up trading for him at some point. And again, even if not, I think he's fine in that park. So I, I am, I'm unconcerned and somewhat optimistic that this will make Solaire easier to acquire. Agreed.
1: I, I don't think it changes his value. And and Chad, while you were speaking, I, I looked up his strikeout rate by month last year. And it's like, it's crazy. So in in April his strikeout rate was 31.2% and in May 32.4 in June it just kept going down it was 22% in June 21% in July 19.8 in August and in September Jorge Soler only struck out 16.7% of the time which is a terrific strikeout rate for any player but Jorge Soler so like if this is if this is some kind of adjustment then I think you're not only getting value because he's going too late in drafts already and now probably going later because he went to Miami, but you could also just be getting a player that made a little bit of an adjustment and is kind of a tank now.
0: Well, and Atlanta, I mean, you know, Atlanta seemed to pick up every underperforming outfielder at the trade deadline last they year. He made a
1: whole new outfield and won the World Series.
0: Yeah. But they, but they all like, they didn't just, you know, some teams go out and make trades for, uh, like they go out and trade for a stud, right? Like you think about like teams buying a guy like Nick Castellanos at the deadline a few years ago. That's not what they did. They didn't go out and get, you know, all-star performers who were crushing the ball and just happened to be available. They went out and added like Jock Peterson, who was really struggling. They added Eddie Rosario, who had been truly atrocious for, for Cleveland. Um and they And Soler is another, and they all improved dramatically when they got there. And so when I see changes, like all three of those guys improved their strikeout rate with Atlanta. Now, is that because they were all underperforming and given another half season, they were all going to improve? Maybe. Is it just, you know, three things that happen to happen and (laughs) don't mean anything? Maybe. It also might be that Atlanta's got some had some success with their hitting coaches working with these guys and helping them get on track. And if that's the case, then you have real reason to believe some of these changes might stick. And maybe that applies more to Rosario since he'll be back in Atlanta, whereas Solaire and Peterson will not. But um, I am I, I'm, I'm I think the nice thing about Solaire is there is a, like you said, there is a possibility that he made a real adjustment and is going to actually be better moving forward. You don't have to pay for it no one's making you pay for it. So I'm a big fan of those kind of picks. So let's uh, let's jump to another outfielder landing in a new spot. And unlike Solaire, I think this guy landed in a park that uh, you couldn't have asked for a better landing spot for him. That's Tommy Pham landing in Cincinnati. Great American Ballpark is just a wonderfully pleasant place for for guys to hit. Uh it's a weird team. I don't really know what they're doing. They're they're getting rid of guys, they're adding guys. They've I feel like they're sort of running in place while may, maybe making themselves a little bit worse while saving a little bit of money. Um but I, I think Fam was a smart signing for them.
1: Uh I love it. I Statcast right now has him hitting sixth, but I imagine against lefties he'll be in the top third of the lineup. I don't know that for sure. I'm I'm just guessing, but um you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, best possible ballpark, you look at the stack cast data, he's, he can still play. Um, and Tommy Pham has been consistently throughout his career, one of the more quiet, awesome fantasy performers. It steals bases, hits for power. You put him in that tiny ballpark. I like it and kind of like Soler. And, and in this case, it maybe wouldn't be a good thing. He kind of also feels like, a let's sign somebody. If they perform well, we can move them at the deadline for pieces because I still completely view Cincinnati as a rebuilding team. And I wouldn't be surprised if they move Luis Castillo before the season starts. They move Tyler Molly before the season starts. So it is inconsistent with their plan. I mean, you got to feel the team. But this does kind of feel like a, hey, this guy's cheap. The market is kind of giving him to us. Let's bring him in. Hope he performs and we can move him for a prospect at the deadline. It feels weird saying that for two straight players. It almost sounds like a cop out like, oh, older player signs with bad team. They must trade him. But it happens. And
0: I I think it's a if it is what they're doing, I think it's kind of smart. Yeah, I think it's more likely here than it is with Miami. I think Miami is trying to build something around some of the young guys they've got coming up. And and I think they're, you know, Soler has opt-outs the next couple of years, but I think they're hoping that he's, he's a guy they can they can build around. I think if things go sideways, which it very well might, he could be gone. Fam, I mean, there's a mutual option, so he could be back, but like it's a one-year $7.5 million deal for a team that, does not appear to be trying to compete. This just, it just sounds like they're buying a prospect, right? I mean, that's what it sounds like they're doing. They're, they're buying a prospect um, by signing him now with the intention of trading him later. Uh, Who knows if that's how this will play out, you know, we'll see, but I like, this could even be a situation where they told him that, look, we're going to bring you in. We'll get you, you know, you haven't, you haven't found a deal. Here's the deal that we think works. There is a good chance we're going to trade you, but we're going to like, if we do, we're going to get you to a contender and you're going to find yourself on a uh, team competing for the postseason in August. Like that may have been really appealing to him. Uh We'll see. Um, But I, you know, from a fantasy perspective, yeah, this is, this is great for him. Uh I like, I, I you know, Again, from a home run park factor for right-handed hitters, Great American is number three in baseball behind Dodger Stadium and Oriole Park at Camden Yards. For overall park factor for right-handed hitters, it is number 3 its number two tied with Oriole Park and Coors. And the Rockies and Orioles were probably not going to sign him. So about as good a landing spot as you could ask for for Tommy Pham.
1: Definitely. And, I mean, so the stolen base efficiency was pretty bad last year, but – again this is this is a statistic that is very hard to find in drafts i think the fact that he could rattle off 20 stolen bases this year because he got 14 last year and just 475 at bats makes him a 20 stolen base threat and i think that makes him a top 200 player overall i don't know where he's been going since he signed with cincinnati and i don't know how much data we have on that but i if i need a, a fourth or fifth outfielder at this point and tommy fam's there I I usually like to save my definitely my fifth outfield pick for much later in the draft, but I'd have a hard time passing up the 2020 potential in that ballpark.
0: Yeah, I uh, I'm in a dynasty league with some folks from the pitcher list discord community and in that draft where we, you know, we we kept we have a seven round draft. You have a 44-man roster. You can keep all 44 and just not pick in the draft if you want. But like most teams cleared some spot. I cleared seven spots so I could pick up seven guys. And in the middle of that draft, he signed. And I was like, oh, man, I wonder if Fam is available because I would love to pick him up. Like as you know, my 43rd guy in a roster, that'd be awesome. Um, and then went to look for him in the draft and he wasn't available. And I was super annoyed and then realized he's on my team. <laughs> I included him. He, he was in my top 37 that I held on to. So it's like, oh, okay. So I, I'm thrilled with that. It actually like, in the end, what it did for me is it changed my draft strategy because I felt like my outfield was thin in that league. Uh, it was good. I was very happy with it. But like my outfield going into the draft, it's a four outfield league. And I had Winker, Schwarber, Betts, and Straw. And then my only bench outfielders were Tommy Pham and Trevor Larnock. Um, Then I've got some guys like I have like Jeff McNeil who has outfield eligibility. I've got Bryant as my third baseman. He has outfield eligibility. I have some, I have some flex to move guys around, but those are my only bench outfielders. And I was thinking I was going to have to draft like Eddie Rosario, um, Andrew McCutcheon's out there. He's sort of interesting. Like I thought I was going to have to draft someone like that, which is why I went to see where fam was. But now all of a sudden it's like, okay, I have those guys. I have a deep middle infield, which means I can flex McNeil to the outfield if needed. And I've got Fam and Larnock as my my bench outfielders, like that'll play. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy with how that worked
1: out. When he signed in Fantrax in our second Fantrax league, our listener league, he signed and it was Adam's pick, and I was up in two picks, and I was like, oh man, I'm totally gonna take Tommy Fam. This is perfect. He's still there. Adam didn't take him, and then Dylan Dylan underscore cards on Twitter scooped up Tommy Fam right before it was my pick. So. The timing of the fam
0: signing really killed me there. Just so close to being perfect, but no. <laughs> so with that, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going we're gonna to stay in Cincinnati and talk about some less positive news. Welcome back. Uh, like I said, we're going to stay in Cincinnati. You mentioned the possibility that the Reds could trade Luis Castillo. There is a a hitch in that plan, which is that a couple days ago, we learned that Luis Castillo will not be the opening day pitcher and may not be available the first time through the rotation. He's got a, what's described as a right shoulder issue, <laughs> uh, but I'm looking at an article on MLB.com by Mark Sheldon. Um, yeah, right shoulder issue. Castillo said, I feel a little bit of soreness in my shoulder once we got into training and when I got here. We're just working on it to get it better and to be ready for the rest of the season. Um, He was throwing from distance, like doing a long toss. So he's not, you know, D- David Bell, the Reds manager, I was, I was just like paraphrasing him, but the actual quote is he's actually throwing distance today, like throwing long toss. So he's fine. He got here late and they had a little bit of sore shoulder that skipped a day or two. We're still trying to build him back into a bullpen session. He's obviously a little bit delayed. So that quote is sort of all over the place. It's like, he's doing long toss. He's fine. But also he wasn't throwing for a couple of days and he's got a shoulder issue. Like, it doesn't sound serious to me, but you know, pitcher and shoulder are not, I don't want to ever hear those words in the same sentence. Definitely not. I think in this
1: specific situation, looking i was actually reading that same article uh that you were referencing on mlb.com i i think i'm gonna take the discount on him to be honest because keep in mind and, and this is this is a narrative that everybody talks about everybody knows about it by now but luis castillo struggles in the cold weather so if he misses his first two starts those two starts might have been complete duds anyway um get him right get him fresh and and like to me if the Reds even had an inkling that this could be a problem. They would just shut him down and be like, yeah, we'll, we'll take a look in a month or whatever the case may be, because he's their most prized trade chip. And this is, again, this is a rebuilding team. They don't go away and trade Winker and Suarez and everyone else unless they're rebuilding. So they understand how important he is. Now, it's also important that they can show he can perform if they want to get anything for him. But I don't think they're thinking along those lines. I think it's just he'll he it's exactly what it said. He came late, started throwing shoulder hurt. He even says himself later in the article, Bell said that, well, Bell's quoting Castillo saying, I feel great. It's just a sore shoulder. Um, it's the age of news and information, right? Where we hear this and we're like, Oh God, what's happening. But you know, 20 years ago, we never would have even known this was a thing and he would have had a fine season and everybody would have moved on with their lives. But um, if there is a discount in drafts, I'm interested uh, now because I, I really wasn't before. I'm not a huge Castillo guy, you know, high whip, all that stuff. If he ends up in Yankee Stadium or something like that, it could get a, a little bit uglier. But if you're telling me he goes from uh, I don't know where he's going now, eighth round and 12 team drafts, maybe a little earlier, and now he's moved down a couple rounds, I'll, I'll be interested at that point if he's my
0: third starter. Yeah, so I just pulled up in uh, NFBC. From March 1st through March 21st, this story broke on the 22nd. So from March 1st to March 21st, he was going just outside the top 100 at 101.4 was his ADP. If I look then from March, let's skip the 22nd because I don't know when in the day that broke. And just say from the 23rd until today, which mind you is only, it's 28 drafts. So it's a relatively small sample He's now going 143.7. So he dropped three and a half rounds, almost four rounds. And I, you know, I think there's probably a spot in between there that, that I feel good about. And I'll say like, I'm feeling this way about a handful of pitchers right now, especially in head to head leagues. Um, I'm in the middle of a, this is a redraft. I'm in the middle of the pitcherless staff league draft. And Chris Sale just dropped to the 13th round. It's a head-to-head league and like I'm not sure how much I discount Sale's value in that format. Uh, he got picked up by Scott Chu if if Scott hadn't picked him, I would have going I was going to take him on my next pick. As you know, I pushed down pitching and so I wasn't really going on pitching and I ended up choosing Framber Valdez over Chris Sale with my last pick and I I'm sort of fine with that. But Another pitcher who's in sort of a similar boat, who I I think I'm not discounting too much, but I'm curious if you are, is Shane Boz. So Shane Boz had arthroscopic surgery on his elbow, his pitching elbow, to clean up some loose bodies. Um, I don't know if it's like bone chips. I don't know what that is, but they they took some loose bodies out of his elbow. They're gone now. That's great. He's going to be shut down for two to three weeks. I've seen some mentions of him being ready to rejoin the rotation sometime in May, um, probably late May, because if you figure two to three weeks puts you at mid-April before he's really throwing it all again, give him a month to work back up, they're going to go easy on him. Um, But I don't know. If he's ready in May, I'm not sure this changes his value much for me, given... I didn't expect him to throw 200 innings anyways. Yeah. And that's just the thing, right? If this is the, like
1: what was originally going to be built in time off, if now it's just all up front and you can just get him and run with him starting in May, then, then that's awesome. I, because of the team and because it is a young pitcher having elbow surgery right before the season starts, no matter if it was arthroscopic, how small it was, like that's really concerning to me. Um, so You know, I see elbow. I see normally when I see shoulder, even though I don't feel this way with Wheeler and Castillo, it worries me. And and oddly enough, before this injury, on roster resource, before the injury, they did not have Shane Boz in the rotation. It was McClanahan, Rasmussen, Kluber, Yarbrough, Patino. I don't know how much to read into that because they were leaning on this guy in the playoffs to start and, and he looked great beforehand. But that definitely stood out to me. And it's just, you have no idea what the Rays are going to do. So it wouldn't surprise me if if all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you know, he had a little bit of soreness, so we're going to take it slow, give him a lot of rehab starts, and we expect him back after the All-Star break or something like that. Like, I think it could escalate to that very quickly with this particular player and this particular organization. So now I'm like, hands off. But it's too late because I have him in like every single league. I drafted him the night before in my favorite league. I drafted him as
0: my number three starter. I wake up in the morning and he's having elbow surgery. Yeah, he's he is my in some cases number two even in a lot of places in my I think it was my TGFBI I have him and Flaherty at the top of my rotation which is just not a great not a great feeling right now. <laughs> him and but, Wheeler for me, but not as bad
1: as yeah. him and Flaherty. Yeah, so
0: his ADP he was being drafted at one thirty three point eight for the, up until for in in the month of March on NFBC up until the day before the news broke he was at one thirty three point eight. He is now in the last. Let's call it five days since this news broke. He is now going outside the top 200. His his ADP is 211.6. This is another guy, though, who for me, particularly in head-to-head formats, I, I don't think this changes what I expect from him down the stretch. And so, from that perspective, I'm 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 still in on him. I love him at that new ADP. Uh I, I will. Again, in this pitcherless staff league, um, I'm not quite ready to jump at him here because, you know, we're still at like 160. I don't know. My next pick is 161. My pick after that is 176. If he's there at 176, I may, I may jump at him. I know it's ahead of ADP at this point, but um, I think the upside is just so, so big for a guy like that. And I don't know. I, I also, in in keeper leagues, you know, if I'm making keeper decisions this week and I'm still like I've got one league where I'm still making my keeper decisions, I'm not this doesn't change my thinking on him because I think he's still a long-term piece. It doesn't like I, I'm not pushing him down too far in keeper league drafts or auctions because I think his long-term value is so high. Um I you know, to me, there's a real impact on like a season-long redraft. But other than that this just doesn't seem that concerning and yes i agree you hear shoulder sh- or elbow surgery and it seems you know you can't you can't ignore that <laughs> but um i'm just not that scared in in keeper leagues
1: obviously the value doesn't change that much i think i'm just to tie it to our previous player i think i'm more likely to smash castillo at the 143 adp than i am to i than i am to take baz at all i think for just strictly speaking for redraft but you know you said you're willing to reach for baz and in a head-to-head setting i I can't disagree with the logic i'm just less optimistic that he'll be back as soon as it seems he's going to be back
0: yeah i think in in a head-to-head format particularly if you have il spots um if you can take in the back half like somewhere from like 140 to 200, you can add Castillo and Baz. Um, and you can stash them. You're going to have to stream the first part of the season. Hopefully for Castillo, it's only a week or two. For Baz, it might be a couple months. But then you're going to hit the middle of the season, later part of the season, and go into the playoffs with whatever pitchers you took in like the eighth round or seventh round or whatever that are your the top of your rotation. And you're going to add Castillo and Baz to that. Um... To me, I don't know, like, going back to that NFBC ADP, like, Boz is going around, like, other pitchers going around where Boz is going right now are Alex Wood, Anthony DiSclefini, Jose Urquidy, John Means. Like, these guys are all fine. I don't dislike any of those guys. The upside on Boz and what he can mean to your team in a playoff run is so much higher. And so... I think if you can get them around that price, I'm I'm still in. So um pull up my notes here. We got covered a bunch of, of sort of news here with the story signing, Solaire signing, fam signing, and then the Castillo and Baz injuries. We also have been, Pete and I have been doing our listener league drafts. One of those is almost done. Uh we, the head-to-head league, we, we ran into a snafu with, I think, the way I set it up on fan tracks. And it, it didn't want to let us do it, the minor league portion of our draft. So we are still finishing up the minor league portion of the draft there. So we don't want to talk too much about that. But the other league, which is our Roto League, it is a... um What is it? It is Roto with OBP and innings pitched instead of average and wins this is one where Pete and I are co-managing along with 11 of our listeners competing with us. That draft is complete. And, you know, Pete, I'm sort of curious, like looking at, looking at our team first, we picked out of the fifth spot. We started with Ronald Acuna Jr. How do you feel? First of all, how do you feel about that pick? Like since that draft happened, we went from like no news about Acuna to like We saw him hitting and it looked like, oh, he looks great. He should be ready tomorrow to like, they're hoping to have him DHing in April and playing the field in May. And like, just, you still feeling good about Acuna at five? Uh, Well, no, I think if if we
1: redid it, I don't think there's any chance we would take him that high just because it is Roto instead of head to head. If it's head to head, to be honest, I'd still be so tempted just because he's such an amazing player. And, you know, I, I trust you and I's ability to stay afloat until he would return. Um, but in, in Roto now I would, have I would have probably, you know, I see Vlad jr. There. Um, I know he's not going to get you any stolen bases, but to have gone seventh, um, I think I, I would have probably been more in on Vlad Bryce or Boba Shett at that
0: point. Yeah, actually we would have had an interesting debate. Cause I still think if Acuna is really back as a DH by the end of April, I still want him over those guys. Cause like if Acuna were fully healthy, right. If he were, you know if 2 months ago they had been like he's running the bases he's fielding the ball he looks great he's going to be you know by the time spring training starts he'll be a full go he'd be he'd be a candidate for the first overall pick right he's that good and so to me missing a couple of weeks like I, but we don't know if he's actually only going to miss a couple of weeks right that's the big i think that's the big risk is like will he actually be back then but if he's if they're really confident he's going to be back by the end of April, he could still play 140 games this year. Like people miss games, it happens. So, I, I'm I'm still in on him. I'm still good with that pick. I thought I I thought I read yesterday that they're expecting him first week of May, and so I kind okay. of
1: look at it as like Vlad Vlad Jr. I'm just going to continue to use him as an example because I think he's the one I would have liked the most. You compare Vlad to Acuna. If you give Vlad a month head start in statistics on Acuna, which is what we're talking about with Rotisserie, I don't know if, you know, that the extra stolen bases make up for the month's difference between a player like Vlad and, and Acuna. But I think the fact that it's even a debate still makes me feel okay with it. Like, I, I don't think this has torpedoed our season. It's just, I probably would have reconsidered.
0: So here's my, I'm, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to make this we, – We maybe we make a, a little board bet here. I think Acuna finishes ahead of Vlad on the player raider.
1: So I'm, are we talking about ESPN's player? Because I'm not going to touch that because they they worship <laughs> stolen bases. like. And Vlad is going to – him and his tank are going to have like you know three stolen bases. So I, I'm not going to touch that bet. And maybe I should if I think Vlad was the pick. But I, I, I think that
0: it's a flaw in the ESPN player raider i haven't Ra- looked at how the raz- do, you, do you like ras better right. i don't know well, how maybe we'll, it maybe we'll talk about this next week maybe maybe next week we'll have a discussion about this but i i still think acuna is the better bet i just i think players miss time like i i don't count on vlad to play 162 either and sure. so um from that perspective like you know we'll see if he's really out until if he misses may, all of april and some of may it gets harder i'll still say it i still think acuna finishes higher on the player raider um any looking l- later in that draft, any picks that we made out of that fifth spot that you see somebody who went later that you're like, man, I don't know if I would have made that pick in retrospect.
1: Uh, I I liked our picks to be honest. I mean, obviously because we're we're so soon after it, Um, it was definitely a different approach. You know, it was a different approach for me as it relates to starting pitchers. Um, I I thought we were getting good value on Jack Flaherty, and I, I'm not. I, I'm normally not a big Jack Flaherty fan, but it looked at the other names, you know, Rogers. I think there were at the time I was like, all right, there's a decent amount of risk there. Not a lot of innings pitched Morton and a keeper, less interesting. McClanahan then went, I just, I guess I thought Flaherty was a fine pick there. Obviously that blew up in our face. And then our next starting pitcher, of course, was Shane Boz. I feel like it's easy to pick on those because they're starting pitchers who are now hurt. We didn't know it at the time. So of course those look like bad picks, but honestly, looking back at it, like, I feel pretty good about it. I I thought on Yo Cruz, I guess that's the one we can hone in on. I thought he was gonna start the season with the Pirates. I don't know why I thought that. It's the Pirates. Um, and so taking him in the twelfth round, even in a keeper, because there's a cost attached. I don't know if he's gonna be a keeper for us now. He's gonna have to be called up really soon and really perform um to be to be worth a tenth round pick next year. So maybe that's the one that kind of sticks out to me. But I still love the talent, so it's hard for me to be too hard on that pick.
0: Yeah, I I think Cruz is uh, symptomatic of of something we did throughout the draft, which is I think we pushed up youth a little too much. And it's like we took Wander Franco in the third, which in an OBP league, I I get why we would do that. But that puts a first round keeper price on him, which means he's probably not a keeper. It's possible, right? It is entirely possible in an OBP league. Yeah. (laughs) But it's it's a it's a tough bet to make right he has to be pretty great and if he's not a keeper then we took him as the fourth shortstop off the board um to tease trey turner bo bichette and then we took wander xander went next uh try to see who else was on there. story story lindor yeah so like i mean he, he has to really perform. And in and on base league, he can. But he's either going to be, like, there, there's a very good chance that he's either very good, but not the third or fourth best sec- shortstop. Um, or, or, yeah, maybe he is good enough to be a keeper. But, like, we took him there. uh, We took, like, we took Torque in the tenth you know, now we have to worry about whether or not he's going to be up to start the season and an eighth round pick to keep him as expensive. We already talked about O'Neill Cruz in the 12th. Um, You know, then I think we were a little better, like Riley green in the 19th, I think a 17th round keeper price for him is likely to be very good, but you run into a little bit of a challenge where we don't have super deep benches in this league. And now we've got green torque and Cruz all on the bench, which meant that later in the draft, We didn't have options on like we couldn't make like a last round pick of a guy like it's like Bryson Stott went in the last round. And I know you and I both really like Bryson Stott, but like we couldn't take somebody at that point who wasn't going to be on a major league roster on opening day. And Stott may not be MJ Melendez went in the second to last round. We couldn't really touch him. Uh, Nolan Gorman went right around there. Like there were just a bunch of guys we, we couldn't, we couldn't go after. Uh, because we couldn't risk having somebody else who wasn't playing. Um, And I think it's going to, like, we're going to have to work hard to be a solid team long enough into the season to get Acuna back, to hopefully get Flaherty and Boz back, and then to get guys like Cruz and Torque and Green into the lineup. Um, and, And we may have, we may have put ourselves into too tight a corner, with the way we handled this draft,
1: yeah, we might have. I, I, so the one of those you said, Torque Cruz, and was Green the last one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the Green one is what it is. I like, like you said, I think it's actually just pretty good value. I, I, if we didn't take him there, by the time it was our next turn to pick, I, I don't think he would have been there. I think that's that's about right. And something interesting about Torque here is, well, number one, I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna be in the opening day lineup. I do. Um, and even if he's not, it's not going to be a long wait and he has third base eligibility in this format and we know how thin third base is. So I, I actually kind of, I like that one. I think in a keeper format, reaching for torque there a few rounds was, was probably about right. And he's kind of like green where I I don't know if he would have come back to us for me, the cruise one still sticks out. I totally hear what you're saying on wander. I just, I think there's a really strong chance again, and you brought this up that in an OBP league. He's just simply worth that third round pick, in which case, like, it's a wash. Like, does it look like a reach on the surface? Sure. Factor in OBP and the fact that I'm super high in Wander Franco. I think it's fine. I think it honestly, and it's going to sound like excuses to all of our listeners here. We got screwed. Jack Flaherty and Shane Boz, when we drafted, they were both healthy, and now neither of them are, and that is going to be just devastating. Our ace is like Joe Ryan, and uh, you know how I operate, Chad. That is killing me right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna have to work pitching really hard. I, I that and that, I'm not even like that is what it is. Um, there's nothing we can do about that. There's nothing we could have done about that. I, I don't have any issue, like. I have no issue with the Wander pick. I have no issue. I told you I like the Acuna pick. I have no issue with the Torque pick. I have no issue with the Cruz pick for that matter. I have no issue with the green. Like I have no issue with any of those picks individually. Yeah. It's just hamstrung us. The overall build has put us in a position where like, you know, in this league. So we have three IR spots, IL spots. We took Tyler Glass now late, which by the way, I love. I have no issue with that either. But again, he's a keeper. That's one already put he, it yes, on the board. Yes, for sure. That's an IR spot. Boz and Flaherty are each need IR spots. So that's it. That's our IR. It's full. Um, we then have to replace Boz and Flaherty, although maybe we don't. Maybe for at least a couple of weeks, we just roll with the five starters and three relievers we've got. Um, like I, Because we have no offensive bench. Like if Torque Cruz, and green are all in the minors to start the season, that's it. That is our entire bench for our offense. And there's nowhere to stash them. Um, Acuna, we can't even put Acuna in an IL spot because of all of our injured pitchers. So we're, we're right now, like one of those IL spots has to be used to get another bat because we literally don't have a full lineup right now because of Acuna. Um, hopefully torque bails us out right if if torque is on the opening day lineup then he moves to our corner infield spot alex caraloff replaces acuña in the outfield and okay that's 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 manageable um if he's not like we're we're just we're in a tough tough spot to start the season it'll get better as the year goes on and so like if you know if by the middle of may we're not in dead last <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have a real shot to make some noise here, um, but we might be in real trouble. So, Well, one, one thing that will help is even though our, our starting pitching is definitely
1: not going to be high end to start the season, we're going to be able to roll out on a weekly basis an extra start, basically, because Severino does have the relief pitcher eligibility. And if I'm wrong here, because we're, we're doing two drafts at once, so you're going to have to forgive me, guys. Chad, this is the weekly RP slot league. So that is a distinct advantage for Severino.
0: Yes, it is a weekly league, five starting pitcher spots, three relief pitcher spots. Um, We will have to make a decision week to week on, do we want six starters by adding Severino, which I think in an innings pitched league, the answer is yes. You want a six starter. Or do we need a third reliever because we're trying to catch up in saves or something like that? Um, Part of that will depend a bit on what reliever roles are. Cause we, we have Liam Hendricks, which is going to give us a, a real nice floor and saves. Our other two relievers are Camila Duvall and Ken Giles. Um, either one of those guys, I think Duvall is likely to be the closer and I haven't yeah. seen anything that suggests he's not. I um, should go double check. We, we should look into that and make sure Giles it's, it's still really unclear. I think what's going to happen in Seattle if giles is clo- if giles isn't closing uh he's gone <laughs> right i mean we're not, not going to, we're not keeping him uh, so if if they announce tomorrow that someone else is closing um giles is gone and we'll use him to add in a bench bat or another arm or whatever it is um yeah it's going to be we're going to have to we're going to have to stream pitching for a bit and and, and possibly stream some hitting until we can start to get some of these guys back and feel a little more confident. So looking around at the rest of the draft board, any other picks that you are, that you love or any picks that you're sort of find a little iffy? Um, Well, you know, before the show, you brought up the Anthony
1: Volpe pick, um, which, I mean, we are a keeper league. We're obviously, you know, we're, we're considering long-term. But when considering value and the cost to keep it, like if he if he doesn't play this year at all, now you got to pay a twenty third to keep him. Is he still worth it at that point? Um, I think he's someone that's definitely worth talking about. And then you know, I love all three of these players. And this is more of a strategy thing. It doesn't have to do with the players because I I think getting to Oscar Hernandez in the fourth round is good value. But three straight outfielders in the second through fourth round uh, for. One of one of the teams was Kyle Tucker, Eloy Jimenez teoscar Hernandez again, I like all three players, but now you're kind of limiting later in the draft like you and I did to be fair what you can do because most of the most of the a lot of the sleepers sleeper hitters late in drafts are outfielders um and so you filling up one of the deepest spots that quickly, i just
0: if I can avoid it, I'd like to avoid it so it's it's funny you mentioned the outfielders though. in uh In the staff league, the pitcherless staff league I'm in, uh, Miles Nelson's been giving me a hard time because um, I took I was picking out of the eighth slot and I took Mookie Betts. Now it's a Yahoo league, and Mookie is a second baseman, so I am thrilled with Mookie in the eighth slot. But when you look at the Clicky draft board, he's an outfielder, and so I started Betts, Tucker, Teoscar. So some of the same guys. Um, So I went. It looks like I went outfield, outfield, outfield. Then I went Aaron Nola, Austin Riley, Logan Webb. So I got a a third baseman plus a couple pitchers. Then I took Brian Reynolds because I thought he was great value there. And then in the 11th and 12th, I took Trent Grisham and Lords Gurriel Jr. So I am now, we're now 13 rounds into this draft, and I have taken, in theory, six outfield players, (laughs) Uh, seven if you include Josh Bell, who shows up on clicky draft as a first baseman. Now, Bell will be my first baseman. Betts will be my second baseman, which means that I then have four outfielders for three outfield spots and two utils. It's fine. I could build around this. But it I was getting a little bit of a hard time because it does look like all I've done is draft outfielders in this league. <laughs> um, that's just Whatever. the way the board has fallen to me. Yeah. Right. And sometimes the value
1: is just worth it. Like Teoscar in the fourth, I think is great. And honestly, yeah. Kyle Tucker, where he got him that late into the second round, I mean, I think that's great too. I guess it's just Eloy. Um, I guess I'm just honing in on Eloy here and it's a strategy thing and it's an Eloy thing. I I see like four picks later, Matt Olson went and first base is deep, but it's not that deep. So what I've wanted, you know, potentially the, the second or third best first baseman who puts up essentially what we hope to get out of Eloy, but Olson's actually done it and not begin to fill up my outfield. I think that's a pick I would have made, but there's no way they're certainly in the draft four rounds in you've tanked your draft. So I don't, I don't think it's like sure. something that's terrible. It just, it's a
0: strategy thing. kind of limits what you can do. I think it's also interesting. I wonder, and I'd be curious what uh, David, if you're listening and you, you know, hit us up on Twitter with your thoughts on this, I, I'm looking here. And in the third, so he, he picked, was that eighth? Uh, yeah. Eighth. Yeah. So he's on his, his shorter turn here, right? He's only got four teams, you know, eight picks between his two picks He comes up there, and if I look at the draft board where he is, let's say he was interested in Olsen or Alonso. Let's say he was interested in – he already had Bichette, so he's not looking at a shortstop there. Maybe he's interested in a starting pitcher. If I'm him and I'm looking at, like, I've already done Bichette and Tucker. I'm not sure Mullins or Starling Marte, who are the next two outfielders that went after Eloy, are guys I'm super interested in. If I prefer Eloy to Teoscar – I can see taking him and thinking there will either be a starting pitcher or one of those two first basemen who's there for me in the fourth. And then you land in the fourth and Teoscar's still on the board and it's like, okay, well, this isn't how I would have drawn it up, but fine. Like, you you know, force me to take Teoscar Hernandez, I'll do it. Um, And so I, I agree. I think it's sort of a weird strategy. My, my guess is, in retrospect, it's easy to look at this and be like, oh, had he taken Olsen, then even if, you know, even if whoever whoever took Olsen takes Alonzo, and whoever took Alonzo ends up taking Eloy or something like that, like Eloy or Teoscar still would have likely been there for his next pick. There was no way for him to know that at the time. So right. I can sort of see that. I think the, the Volpe pick is more concerning to me just because I think... um It's not that he won't be worth a 23rd next year. I mean, I think you look at like, you know, you look at where guys like where we took torque, look at where, you know, a guy like O'Neal Cruz went. Um, There were a lot, there were plenty of prospects that like, it certainly feels like those guys. I mean, we took, we took Riley green in the, where did we take green? No, I can't find him. We took him in the 19th. Yeah. There is no reason to think that at this time next year, Volpe isn't as valuable as Riley Green. However, Volpe, like he could struggle in the high minors. Like we don't know Like there's, there's more risk there than there is to a guy like the, the natural path for him. If he progresses the way we'd expect is that he will be well worth keeping with a 23rd round pick. But even if he's worth keeping with a 23rd round pick, you you're stashing him the entire season. You're taking on a lot of that risk. I, I, I sort of think, I would rather take, like, I would rather reach for him in the fourteenth round next year than pay two years of of draft capital for him, which is basically what you're going to do now. But he also could move fast and, you know, be the Yankees' shortstop in like a month. So who knows what's going to happen with him? They they don't have, like, there really isn't a whole lot. Like they they have a, I don't know, they have a a deep middle infield but it is not a it's not a particularly impressive middle infield <laughs> um like i so I, I think he could um he could move up he could well there's, so there's no shortage of pressure in new york if they're underperforming
1: sure. and this kid's crushing it i i do think i'd be surprised if he's up and and you know i'm big on on dj lemayhew but you, you can't rule it out and i think you make a good point like if we pushed up prospects as much as we did this time next year. He will be worth a 23rd, but I agree with you a hundred percent. That means he's just taking up a roster spot all year for you. Um, and then, and then you're going to have to pay another keeper uh, keeper price to keep him. Um, So I'm with you on that. I just took him in our, so you, you brought it up earlier. Our Keeper cut listener league too. our minor league draft is happening. Noel V Marte went first. Tristan Cassis, a second little bit of a surprise there. Jack Leiter went third and I just took Anthony Volpe fourth. Uh, So I'm not down on him. I just, I agree with you the roster spot all year is going to kind of be a pain in the neck. If he has to deal with some injuries too.
0: Yeah. And it is one of the differences between the two leagues and it's, it's, this is a a really good sort of know your league situation where um, in listener league two, we have a minor league portion of the draft and we have a minor league portion of the roster. And so, nobody reached for a guy like Cassis. Nobody reached for a guy like Marte or Volpe because you can wait and stash them. And it allows you like it, it, it not only allows you, it forces you to be more present day focused with your active roster because other people are going to, and that means if you want to compete, you got to have the the depth to do it. Um, So it is, you know, it's a different league with a different structure. And so different things happen. And I'm, I, I get the Volpe pick. It's not the pick I would have made, but I, I do think that's going to, it's going to be a challenge. Whereas like that same team took Brendan Davis in the 26th round. I would have rather taken Davis in the 25th and let Volpe go uh, because Davis at least should be up this year and, and, and have an opportunity to, to have a real impact. So um, yeah, I think that's, I'm trying to see if there's any other, any other picks or anything else that really stands out to me. Um, but I don't know anything that anything that you look at, you're like, yeah, this is an interesting one. There's some really fun late round picks, like you know, 25th round Lamont Wade Jr. I really like 26th round Nick Senzel. I think you know we, we've we've talked about him in the past. I'm sure we'll talk about him more in the future. Um, I, I've talked before about I really like Carson Kelly. Carson Kelly went in the 27th round, and in th- this league is the one catcher league, right? Is it the one? Yeah, it is the one catcher league. So, like, to go out in the 27th round, that team didn't draft a catcher until the 27th round and ended up with Carson Kelly. Like, that's that's pretty solid. That's a Shoopy is the name of the the manager who drafted it, at least his Twitter name. Um, yeah, I don't, I some, don't know some, if that's his real name. It's probably not his real name. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah, there, there's some good picks here, some fun stuff. Um, One that I like from us, Chad, is,
1: is your boy, because since we've picked Alejandro Kirk, it, they dealt Randall Gritchick and there's rumors circling that Alejandro Kirk might actually be the everyday DH, which if we just got someone with his profile, his ability, his upside, who's going to be the everyday DH with catcher eligibility for an awesome offensive team. I think that's a great pick. And I do like uh, Josh Lowe in the very last round. I think he's obviously going to get major league experience this year. And I could see him being a smash at a 23rd round pick or whatever it's going
0: to be to keep. Yeah. Kirk is sort of an interesting one because we after taking Kirk wanted to hedge, which makes sense because there is some risk that Kirk just doesn't really have much of a job. Um, like you said, less so now than maybe there was a, a few days, di- you know, when we drafted. But and so we came back in the 25th round and took Gary Sanchez. And so now we've got these two like catcher eligible, maybe DHs, who knows what they're gonna do. Um a lot of upside. And yeah. But, but unless things change, we're starting both of them. We're going to be the only team out there starting two catchers in a one catcher league. Yeah. It's probably not what you want. No, but I don't think we have a choice. So we'll have to see. Um, I think we've gone through enough here. I think we've covered quite a bit. Thank you for listening. Uh, Remember to follow us on Twitter at keep or cut. You can find Pete at Pete B baseball and find me at Chad young, wherever you're listening to this podcast subscribe, leave us ratings and reviews. It really helps us to sort of reach out and get more listeners and, and continue to grow the show. Uh, So we appreciate those of you who have done that and ask those of you who haven't to do it. If you got time, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week.